Eight years ago, Annie Taylor's baby Ruby was fighting for her life in UCLA hospital while she waited for a liver transplant. Today, I sit down with Annie and talk all about the beautiful details of Ruby's life and legacy, why organ donation is such a tricky subject with babies and small children, and what every parent should consider about organ donation before they're ever in a position to have to decide. Annie also shares with me a little about her grief process and how and why she felt peace and what friends and family did that helped her the most. I am so excited to have this interview tonight with my friend Annie Taylor. And Annie and I have been friends since, I don't know, the early 2000s in our days at BYU. Mm -hmm. And Annie is a mom and she's really has such a beautiful story. And um, Annie, do you want to tell everyone kind of your, like who you are and what you're up to? Yeah. So I'm Annie Taylor and I'm the proud mom of five awesome kids. So I have an 11 year old girl named Kate and then we had Ruby second and she passed away coming up on eight years. And then we have Lola who's six and then we have twins who just turned to a boy and a girl so they keep me quite busy day and night I bet and you guys live in do you live in northern California now yeah so we moved um, near Sacramento about two years ago for my husband's job so we're really we're liking it here a lot but we miss living by the ocean and living by family but we love the people here and we're learning to love it that's awesome so Annie, and I just have to say too, I love that I think you're the only other Annie that I know that spells your name the same way that we spell our Annie because yes. we named <laughs> our first daughter Annabelle and spelled it A-N-A-B-E-L-L-E. And so when I say Annie and when I write her name, it didn't make sense for me to throw in an extra N that didn't mm-hmm. to write A-N-N-I-E. So we always spell it A-N-I and I love that. You're, I think you're the only other Annie I know who also spells yep. your name that way. So When I first heard, saw you calling her that, I was like, yes, thank you. <laughs> Fun <laughs> fact, yeah. Now there's two of us. Yeah, yeah, you guys are little soul sisters. So <laughs> anyway, okay. So you mentioned that you had a baby. In what year did you have Ruby? So Ruby was born in January of 2011. Okay. And where was she born and... What did life look like for you guys when she was born? Um, so we had um, our Kate at the time. She was two and a half mm-hmm. when Ruby was born. Um, we were living in Orange County and just kind of starting out our life as, you know, just doing our thing with our little family. And I do remember that Matt and I were talking one night and we had just moved into a new house and Ruby was probably about six weeks old at the time, around there. And I remember telling him, like, we're so blessed. I can't believe, like, how thankful I feel for our life, that it's almost kind of scary. Yeah. (laughs) And that's actually right. I think it was almost the very next day that everything kind of started with our journey with Ruby's health. So, So life was going pretty good and smooth at that time. But I think it's always when things are going like that, that the unexpected hit is exactly what happened to us. Yes. So I didn't know that. So this wasn't something that you knew like when she was born. No. So I had like a totally normal pregnancy 
and she was a little jaundiced in the hospital, but nothing like unusual. And at the time I used to do um, photography and I remember kind of like I kept waiting to do her newborn pictures because her eyes still had a little bit of yellow, like the whites of her eyes were a little yellow still. Mm-hmm. And I remember like a couple of friends, oh, have you done her pictures yet? And I'm like, no, I'm still like, I'm waiting for that to clear up. And then I remember it was at her two month appointment that as I was walking it, like I was, we were driving there. Matt was driving and I kind of like wrote down on the back of a golden spoon, like frequent buyer card, my questions I have for the doctor, which I had never really done with my older daughter. I wasn't really a big worrier, mm-hmm. but I wrote down that she had some like weird colored poo. It wasn't that like beady yellow, like breastfeeding stool that I was used to with my other baby. Mm-hmm. So that was something. And then her, that she was still a little jaundiced and I can't remember what the other thing was, but so I just remember going in with those like kind of concerns. And right when I told him those things, our pediatrician immediately ordered us to go do some blood work. And I remember saying like, it's like four o'clock. Like, is it like how much of an emergency is it? Like, do you think I could like do this tomorrow? Like, you know, I need to get her home and Kate's tired. And he's like, no, you need to go straight to the lab right now. And I remember just feeling really really worried about that because he was not an alarmist yeah that's not what you want to hear as a mom no it's definitely not what I wanted to hear so we did the blood work and I think it was even later that night he called us and said the labs indicate there's something wrong with her liver they weren't sure what but that we needed to check in to chalk um, the children's hospital in Orange County the next morning he had already called ahead they knew we were going to come and of course that was just a turning point, I guess, in our life. I felt scared and just the unknown was almost unbearable. Yeah. But my husband and my dad both gave me a blessing that night um, that really brought me a lot of peace and calm over the next five or six months as we went through what we did, that I would just have a really special bond with Ruby and the things that we would go through would make us stronger. So I was thankful that we started out our journey kind of being reminded of who I am and who Ruby was in our relationship and being tethered to, to Christ. Yeah, that's beautiful. So that happened and do you feel like you were able to sleep that night? Do you remember what that felt like? I just remember being like, what do you like? It's funny thinking back, like, all I remember is like, what do you pack to go to the hospital? Like for an unknown amount of time. And I thought back to someone I had known that had a child that was sick and she always had her dress really cute with like cute headbands on and little bracelets. And so I'm like, if we're, if we're going to go to the hospital, like we're just going to like do our normal thing. I'm going to like dress her how I always did. Anyway. So I remember like we showed up to the hospital that morning and they showed us to our room And then, like, we had no idea what we were even really there for. Like, it was just very scary, like, the unknown. And they handed us a little hospital gown, and I looked at it, and I think I, I'm pretty sure I put it on her. And then Matt and I just, like, sat there for, like, an hour waiting for the doctor to come in. And I'm like, I'm not having her wear that. (laughs) So I took it off, put her little cute outfit back on, and then I felt like, okay, we can do this. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to do this. We're going to do this our way. 
And she was how old at this time? Like six weeks, did you say? Yeah, she was. it was just before she turned two months. So I think that appointment was actually around her two months. I think that was her two-month appointment, just okay. a little bit before. Okay. So I think, like, we kind of kept that theme of doing things our way, like, throughout Ruby's life. We tried mm-hmm. to make the hospital seem as normal as possible. We tried to go on walks and meet little friends and little rooms next door to us and mm-hmm. put cute bedding on her bed. And we just wanted it to feel like home and that really helped us during that time. Yeah. It kind of seems silly, but it's those little things that helped us to enjoy our time with her and feel feel peace during that time. Yeah, that makes sense. So she, at that hospital stay, she was, went through like an exploratory surgery to see what was going on with her liver. They thought that she might have something called biliary atresia, which is what a lot of children that have liver disorders that's what they usually have Mm -hmm. and there is a procedure they can do to kind of give like buy them a little more time before they need a liver transplant so while we hoped that it wasn't something that serious we knew that if that's what she had then there would be like a game plan um, for her so when she came out of that surgery we were told that she did not have that disorder and they were still unsure what was going on so after she healed up, we were kind of set on our way. I think we were there for a total of like 10 days or so. And one doctor said, we hope that she grows out of whatever it's going on. We're not really sure. We'll keep looking into it. And that just didn't sit well with me. Yeah. So I got to work trying to contact anyone I could, finding the best of the best. And so I called the transplant liver transplant team at UCLA I think they, I think they got me on the calendar, but it was like way down the road, and I was like, "That's not okay with me." So I called, I think like several times a day for a week straight until they gave me an appointment. Wow! So I was not. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not just gonna sit around. Like when you're a mom, you have yeah. to just be proactive and helping your your child any way you could. Because I felt yeah. helpless. I'm like, there's nothing. I know there's something wrong, and I need to fix it. And so. I did what I could do. So we ended up at UCLA and she actually had an appointment. And a few days before that, um, her belly started to get distended, had a couple of their symptoms. So we ended up taking her into the ER and kind of fast tracked our appointment. We got all the labs done early. And so she was diagnosed, I think within maybe five days of us being at UCLA. Wow. It was a really scary moment. I remember studying um, in our hospital room and I was nursing her when like a huge group of doctors came in. So there was the transplant team and I remember looking at the names on their coats and thinking like, this has got to be serious if there's this many people with the word transplant on their jacket, on their coats. And they came in to deliver the news that she would in fact need a liver transplant and that she needed to have it pretty soon. Um, so there's like, um, it's called like your Pell score. So it's like a, where you fall on the list of being on the liver transplant waiting list. And so she kind of tells you like, if you have this score, you, you can live six months without getting a liver. So that was kind of like, I think we were given a time frame of maybe a three to four months, somewhere around there. 
that she would need to have this transplant. And those numbers would change. Sometimes it was a little bit like they thought she's doing great. We can, you know, we think she can go a little bit longer. So immediately, um, my husband and I wanted to find out if we could be a living donor for her. So mm-hmm. with liver transplants, liver and kidneys can actually use a living donor because you can, they need just part of your liver. So that was exciting for me to be able to feel like maybe I can do this. I can save my baby. Like there's something I can do yeah. besides just sit around and wait. I remember walking over to my appointment and laying down to do my MRI and just feeling like almost giddy, like trying to chit chat with the person like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this because I'm going to donate to my daughter and it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. And then a few days later, the doctor came in and said, I'm so sorry to tell you about you're not a match because of the size of your liver. So the oh, thing wow. with children is that they need, especially babies, they need baby-sized organs. Adult organs just don't physically fit inside of a baby. Yeah. So that's hard because a lot of people don't donate their children's organs when something happens. And so there's a huge need for for babies that are waiting for transplants that don't have the opportunity that maybe an adult would have. They're just not a large enough pool. So that was really devastating for us to get that news. My husband next went and was tested and it was the same answer for him that the portion of his liver they needed was also too large. Wow. So we we also had some other family members and friends and even like someone who I had known in high school, not like even like super well, but she came down and went through the whole process to be screened, to be a donor. And that gave us so much hope. I mean, be told that your child has such a serious illness and that they will die without a cure is terrifying. But to know that there is a cure out there gave us a lot of hope. Yeah. And I think that's like, what got us through is that we knew, okay, we have this, we have this cure out there. We just have to figure out how to get it to her, which was frustrating, but also gave us the hope that we needed at the time. So that's, we were just left to wait after that news. So sometimes we were able to come home and care for her. She had a pick line, like she would have like nutrition through and some of her medications. So I was able to be trained so I could do that at home to kind of keep some like some sort of feeling of that things were the same for especially for our older daughter. Right. And I love those times that we were home. It was so I think I just felt so thankful for everything. Like after being in a sterile hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks, coming home and feeling carpet under my feet, I was just so thankful for that. Or sleeping in my nice bed and having not just sheets, but a blanket and, you know, my soft pillow and being able to go into Ruby's room at night and, you know, see her comfy in her crib. Those were things that I had taken for granted before um, and being together as a family. So we really took advantage of that time we had with her at home. And then sometimes we were in the hospital and those were hard days to be alone and just feel isolated from. Yeah, UCLA's not not close to Orange County. So that's, that must've been hard too, yeah. to be going back and forth. 
It was. It was a little bit of a drive, so it made it, you know, we would switch off on, I think I would be there usually like Monday through Friday and have visitors and then Matt would stay through the weekend. And while we were there, like I said, we did try to keep things normal. We always tried to go outside and take her on walks and she loved to be in the sun. And I'm really thankful for those memories that I have that are happy and and somewhat normal. Yeah, I remember you guys talking about like feeding her like frozen yogurt or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was frozen yogurt. Yeah, from the from the cafeteria. Yep. She loved that. And it, so that's like a I love doing that. So on Monday the twelfth we'll go out and get some frozen yogurt in her honor. And last year was fun. We went to a new place and we left a bunch of gift cards for people and got to talk to the owner there about Ruby and so I'm thankful for those little little things that we have to look back on that are happy and positive. So how long were you guys at UCLA? So we were there until Ruby passed away. So she, we waited. She passed away when she was seven months old, seven months and one week. We had been at home for a couple of weeks and she got really sick one night. Um, anytime she had a fever, we had to take her straight in. And so she had gotten a fever in the middle of the night. So I took her in um, and she got, she ended up being in the pediatric ICU um, in pretty critical condition from, she was in septic shock. Her pickline, I think, had, an, had gotten an infection from pickline. And mm-hmm. that actually really did a lot of damage on the rest of her organs, on her kidneys. So it, it worsened everything for her. It did uh, raise her score. So she was up higher on the transplant list. And then she stabilized a little bit. So we were able to go back to the normal pediatric floor for a little while. And that was kind of like the last normal time that I remember as a family, Kate coming to visit her little sister and giving her a bath finally after being in the, the ICU for, for a while and getting her all dressed in her cute jammies and her put her little headband back on. Um, and that's when we started asking people to become organ donors. Uh, was on her seven-month birthday. I think we used, it must have been on Instagram. seems like a long time ago, but on Instagram, we asked people, in her honor, please become an organ donor today. And so we, I think our goal was like 100 or something, and we totally surpassed that. And we have some cute little pictures of her, like with a little sign that said, like, you know, 200 donors because of me and the mom. So, yeah, I remember that. We did that too. I mean, we were we were part of her little number, so that was special. I love that. Yeah. I mean, those are the things that really got us through that time and the support that we had from everybody. We felt really inspired to share our journey, and it wasn't easy. I remember, like, the time that I really decided, like, I want to share. Not I want to, but I felt I needed to share what we were going through, even though it was really hard. And so I had made my blog public and started to, to write about our journey. And I know there's, I know there's a lot of different reasons why I felt inspired to do that. But 
the support that we felt from everybody was something that carried us through that time. So thank you for being part of that. Yeah, I I remember too just following your blog and reading every day what the update was, getting on to see if you had written anything new and just to, you know, we were thinking about Ruby, we were thinking about you guys praying for her, you know, just really praying so hard for a miracle. So, and I remember on a personal note too, that, you know, she passed away, did you say on August 13th? Is that what you said? The 12th. The 12th. Okay. And then Neil and I got married on August 17th. And I remember that being just so fresh in my mind Mm -hmm. and sitting and so in our church, when you get married in the temple, you have a moment where you get to sit together in what we call the celestial room. And that's like the most special room in the temple. And just as a couple, you get to sit in there for a few minutes. And I remember specifically thinking about Ruby and thinking, if we get married in the temple, then what we believe is that that means that our family will be together forever. And so if, you know, if we have children and if something like that happens, like, We'll always be together. So even for us on our wedding day, like she was a special little part of thinking about, you know, what we believe and why that belief in eternal marriage was so important to us. So. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for telling me that. I think for us too, through that whole time, just the knowledge that Ruby is our daughter forever Mm -hmm. and even though we are going through something really hard um, I knew that there was a plan for her there's a plan for our family and there's peace in that was there a moment where you were like I know that this is what's going to happen and it's going to be okay or was it I mean I don't even want to make assumptions what was that like when so after um, I had been saying like how we had that last little normal time in the hospital with Ruby and mm-hmm. then she started to get worse again and went back to the ICU and things got really bad pretty fast. And there was one night that she went into a full code and up until that point, I can honestly say that I had every every hope that she would have her transplant. And I am so thankful for that because I really was able to enjoy her and not I mean, of course, I worried about her to death, but I was able to just be hopeful and and enjoy her until that moment. And I did lose my faith. I remember laying next to her hospital bed and just feeling like I couldn't go on, like I couldn't bear the pain that I was feeling. And my mom came up to me and she said, I think I told her how I was feeling and she's like, don't you do that. Don't you, don't you lose your faith. You remember what you know. And it kind of like, okay, okay. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, like I knew I was going down the road that I didn't want to go down, but it was felt like I couldn't stop it. And one of the nurses came up to me and she just said, this is, is going to be okay. She's going to get her transplant. It's going to be okay. You're going to walk her down. You know, you're going to see her walk across the stage at her graduation and her dad's going to walk her down the aisle at her wedding and it's going to be okay. And gave me my hope again. And the next day she coded again. And after that, Matt and I both separately had 
a feeling that she wasn't going to make it and that, I mean, I really felt like Heavenly Father told me that Ruby's work on the earth was done and it was going to, she was going to pass away. And that was really hard for me to, to have that feeling come into my heart and I pushed it aside. And then when she did finally pass away, it was painful in the sense that she, they were actually out look, like looking at Eliver for her. This had happened a few times that they had a call for a match and they were out looking at the organ at the time when she passed away. And in that moment that she passed, they did have an overwhelming feeling of peace, which is odd. Like, I mean, I can picture myself like screaming and crying and wailing as you would imagine a mother over her child. But, but I remember also with Nat saying a prayer of Thanksgiving for her and that we were able to have her and that she was ours forever and that we were thankful for the time that we had with her. And so I think that that feeling I'd had the day before that this was God's plan for her and that had also had that on his own. There was a piece that came with the fact that this was part of God's plan for her and for our family. And that's not to say that that feeling was always there. The coming days and weeks and months, there was definitely moments that I, you know, I couldn't function, that I felt angry, I felt mad. But it, there was, it was always, it was always, a, I guess you would call it like a cycle in my mind. Like I'm, in my mind, I could start thinking about how sick she was and how horrible she looked and just those horrible moments that we went through. And then I would feel such despair. And then I would remember who I am and that I'm a daughter of God and that God loves me and that he, I knew he was weeping along with me. And I knew that he, he loves me so much that he created a way for me to be with Ruby forever. And, and that feeling that I could, get through this trial would come I would have like a physical feeling of peace come over where I could get through that moment so that is those things that have those blessings and my testimony has like I gained my testimony of Christ and the atonement and what it means that Christ suffered for me and for my my sins but also for my pains and for every here that I've shed that he has shed along with me and for me it's all because of because of Ruby that's where that testimony came from for me wow (laughs) this is so beautiful that you're sharing this and I just want to say too that first of all thank you for sharing that and and second of all too I we had Ruby's picture on our fridge for years Mm-hmm. And I think it's so neat that you guys did share her story and her life so openly with so many people. And and I also wore a little bracelet. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what the bracelet said. One of those like little rubber bracelets. What did the bracelet say? Remind me. It said her name. It said, it said Ruby Jane. And then it had Romans 12, 12. And what scripture is that? What does it say? It's. Like, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and, like, 
faithful in prayer, pretty much. Um, like rejoicing in hell, patient tribulation, be confident in prayer. So for us, that kind of summed up what we were going through. This was before she passed away. We chose that because we were, we had hope, hope that she'd have a transplant because of organ donation, hope that in Christ. And then that we just had to be patient in our trial and continue and being faithful to and praying and hoping for that miracle for her. Yeah. Well, I think that's what you shared is so impactful too, that 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 was how you gained your testimony of the Savior and of his atonement. And I think there's nothing that could be more powerful than I I feel like of leaving a legacy than that. I don't know. Am I, I I feel like this story has got me so emotional. It's hard for me to even speak clearly, which doesn't happen very often. But um, <laughs> anyway, not that I like never get tripped up, but this just, anyway, it's just bringing up a lot of feelings. But I feel like what I'm trying to say is I can't imagine something more powerful that you could have your daughter's life mean. You know, the meaning of that is Mm-hmm. So amazing, and that you're able to share that with people. So I want to ask you a question about while you were grieving and while you were going through the next phases of life, mm-hmm. what that looked like and what helped you and what other people did for you that was helpful to you and to your family. Yeah, so when I think of that time, I think of two specific friends, of course, our family was always there for us and you know I can't even imagine how they did what they did for us while also grieving but two friends in particular one that just she just there's only one way to describe it is that she was just there like without without having to be asked she was just always there ready to catch me and that's what she did probably every day for as long as I can remember. And then the other friend, she just, I think a lot of people that I even think of like myself, when I know someone has gone through something horrible and I want to, you want to be there for them so bad. You want to do something, but you don't know what to do. You don't want to like step over any boundaries, but this one friend, she just like, would just show up at my house and say get in the car we're going to the beach or we're going to the pool we're doing this we're doing that and she wasn't worried about doing the wrong thing she just did something and that's like I think the biggest thing is that don't don't not do something because you're worried it won't be won't be the right thing yeah like when someone's going through something yeah they just want to you at the time I didn't care what our family had for dinner I didn't you know I didn't it was so nice that people brought us meals, but I loved it when someone just bring it and not, you know, at the time you don't care if you have chicken or fish, <laughs> you just want your family to be fed. You don't want to have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And so everyone that just stepped up and just handled stuff for us and were there just meant a lot. And another thing was like mentioning Ruby's name and not being afraid to talk to her, talk about her to me. I remember someone just saying like, I didn't get to know Ruby very well. Like, you know, you were gone a lot with her in the hospital. Like, can you just tell me about her? Like, what was she like? And I remember feeling so like 
thankful that they had an interest in what she was like and they weren't worried about asking me that and it gave me a chance to talk about him because I wanted to talk about her and I still do it she's my daughter and yeah I think when someone has passed away that as a mother and family you want that person to be remembered and so when people would talk about her and ask about her and share with me the ways that her story changed them then it made me feel so much happier and that that her life meant so much not only to us but to other people it really helped really did help soften the pain a lot yeah were there other little I know you said people just stepped up and took care of things were there other like little things that people did for you guys that maybe someone wouldn't think of because I think of meals. That's what I, that's my go-to because of my mom <laughs> and we love to yeah, cook. But, totally. but what other things do maybe people not think of if a meal isn't your thing? You know what? Like I remember like somebody brought new flowers and plants for my front porch and just spruced it up. And it just like coming around the corner and seeing that just made me feel like, oh, thank you. That is so sweet. And there was like a, a poster on our garage door that someone put there and just said like I think it said or it was as we were coming into our neighborhood it said like we love the Taylor family Aww. and it like coming in every day for the couple weeks that it was up I just felt like like it was hard to come home and have her not be there and to have that welcome like meant a lot and also just to like I think our neighbors that maybe didn't know us like then knew oh something happened with this family and then reached out and wanted to know what we were going through. I had friends just show up and with cleaning supplies and just say, I'm cleaning your, your bathroom. <laughs> and they just came in and did it and left or took Kate on a play date. I mean, there are so many little things that people did for us. And oh, those, really, so those things just meant so much. The little things really did. Anything you do for someone that's having a hard time, doesn't matter what they're going through, just to know that you're being thought about and loved is what everybody needs. That's so true. Well, and you did that for me too this year when um, Neil's brother passed away and you reached out. And there, there were so many people who did reach out and I didn't have anything at the time that I felt comfortable asking or needed to talk about yet. But for some reason, when you reached out, you were just the person that I needed to ask some questions to, and that that meant so much to me. So I guess my only addition to that is is to reach out, even if you feel like you're not best friends, because mm-hmm. you might just be like just the person that that person needs in that moment, or for whatever reason they feel comfortable talking to you or asking yeah. you something, and that was very helpful to me. I think that's that's a good point because I feel like a lot of times, like yeah, like I haven't talked to you for a long time and I when that happened I felt so horrible for your family but felt a little funny like reaching out to you but like felt like I should and I think it's okay like if someone isn't like you think I don't want to bug them right now but you will see that message or you know they'll see that you are caring for them and maybe they can't respond at that time but mm-hmm. you just I don't think there's ever a time that you should turn down a feeling to reach out to somebody. Yes, I so agree with that. And another thing too, that on the receiving end, it was a little overwhelming and I'm sure you felt the same. 
this is so random, but I've told a couple people this who have gone through something super traumatic and their phone is getting flooded with texts and they're like, I'll never be able to respond to all of these. And I started mm-hmm. and Neil felt the same. Like, I can't. I yeah. want people to know that I see this and I'm, I feel of their love, but I can't go through and respond to everyone personally. We started just hearting all of the, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the texts to show people like I yeah. saw, you know, I saw this and it meant a lot to me. And just yeah. like a thank you. That's a random little thing that I've told a couple of people and they're like, oh, that's such a good idea that, you know, yeah, then you're acknowledging it. But anyway, okay, I wanted to go into organ donation because I think the the way that you guys have advocated this and used Ruby's life to really mean something and really you know, save other lives and impact so many other people for good is so beautiful. And I just would love for you to share why you do that and what you've done and and why that's meant a lot to you guys. Mm-hmm. So shortly after she passed away, actually, I mean, we were, I'm trying to sum this up, but basically people sent us money when Ruby passed away to help us medical bills and funeral expenses. And once those needs were all met, we had some money left over. And I thought, what can we do with this money to honor Ruby? What could we do for good? And uh, with my brother's help, but, you know, he was a little more clear-minded than we were at the time. He suggested starting a foundation in her honor. And immediately that just felt like the right thing to do. Um, So we set up a nonprofit Um, foundation called the Ruby Jane Foundation and we immediately like I think it was even the week after started planning the run for Ruby Um, and that's something that we held every year that we lived in Orange County and our purpose for the foundation and the run was to raise awareness about organ donation specifically we wanted people to think about organ donation as it applied to children and it's something that is I feel like it's kind of a taboo subject but it's something that needs to be talked about more so you think about I mean before she got sick I think I was an organ donor but I hadn't really put a lot of thought into it I would think of someone that needed a transplant as maybe you know someone that needed a heart transplant you always maybe think of someone older uh, maybe someone that needed liver from drinking or other illnesses like that but I didn't think about all the babies and I for sure had never thought about if I would ever donate my child's organ, if something was to happen to them. And so we wanted to somehow spread awareness about that. And kind of our, I just remember thinking one day, how can I make this make sense to people? And if, if you ask yourself this question, like, would I accept an organ from somebody for myself or for my child or my family member, if they needed it, would I be willing, would I say, yes, well, we'll take that organ that you need, that we need. If you're willing to say yes to that, then you should also be willing to be an organ donor and say that And if I pass away, then I would be willing to also offer that gift to somebody. And also to think if something were to happen to my child, would I be able to donate their organs and tissue? And think about that before you get to that situation because I know that even we were not able to donate anything from Ruby because she was septic. But I put myself and thought about that and I thought 
it would be a really hard choice, even going through what we did and knowing that she needed an organ and how important it was. I know it's a hard choice. And so thinking about ahead of time, I think is. Yeah, there's something about like a baby, right? Thinking about like doing anything to like, like you're Mm -hmm. saying, an older person, you're thinking, oh, they've lived a great life. Like their life can mean something now. Like, of course, like cut their chest open and take their heart out and give it to someone else. But with a baby, that is like, that's a hard thing to think about. I agree with you. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, like. Just thinking about what if that was your child, that really does put everything into perspective immediately. Yeah, it it does. And like right now, just to like give you some like statistics, there's currently 2,000 children under the age of 18 that are waiting for an organ. Wow. And 25% of them are under five years old. Oh. So, I mean, and I wish I could find the, statistic of how many transplants happened, but not enough. There's 8,000 deaths a year um, of people that from waiting, that are waiting and died, not having a transplant in time. So if you think about the largest, so the largest football stadium in the United States would not even be able to hold the amount of people that are waiting for an organ transplant. So there's like over a hundred thousand people that are waiting right now. Wow. So that's where the Ruby Jane Foundation came into play. We raised money to help other families that were in our situation, being in the hospital. We tried to help ease some of the financial burden. We became ambassadors for Donate Life, which is the organization that you can register become an organ donor through. So we helped by speaking at events and participating in the the things that they put on. So that kind of helped us um, through those first years for sure, gave us a lot of purpose in sharing her story. You hear a lot of happy endings to transplant stories, but I think Ruby's story is different. You don't hear a lot of those stories that they ran out of time. And so we thought that it was important to share that with people. Yeah. So when people hear this and they're like, yeah, I want to make a difference. I want to be able to help. What can people do? How can they actively make sure that they're listed somewhere or that they are putting themselves in the position where, because like you said earlier, there, there are ways that you can be a living donor, right? As well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can be a living donor. And, but as far as being, like um, registering to be an organ donor, like after um, you have passed away, you can go to donatelife.net. That will direct you to your state registry and also to the national Donate Life registry. You can also go to registerme.org, which is the national Donate Life registry. So those are two places that you can go on and do that. You also can indicate that you'd like to be an organ donor when you renew your driver's license. Mm-hmm. And there's also a way on your phone in the health the health app, if you have um, an iPhone, I don't know about other phones, that you, I think you can register, at least you can indicate that you want to be an organ donor. Yes, and then, I've seen that too. That's so cool. Yes, it's so awesome. And I think there's been huge strides in the last five years with organ donation awareness. And I think it's awesome. And then I think just bring up a conversation sometime about it. 
there was a friend we had who her boyfriend passed away and his family didn't know that he was an organ donor. And because I don't think it was on his license. I don't think he was registered, but he had indicated to my friend that he wanted to be after she had shared Ruby's story with him. And she was able to share with his family that his wishes. And so I think having a conversation with your family Mm -hmm. um, about how you feel about it, what you'd like to have happen and just make people aware of how you feel. And that's also a great way to spread awareness about it. Do a Facebook post um, on Instagram. I mean, I think that's, we just need more people to to think about it because the statistics say that like 95% of Americans are in favor of being an organ donor, but only like 58 are registered. So there's this huge, I mean, it could, we could be saving double the amount of lives. Yeah. Wow. That is a startling statistic. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure to put all of these resources in the show notes too, so that people can easily click onto the show notes and click out onto any of these websites too and get registered and try to remember to have those conversations too. I wanted to tell one last little story before we wrap up. This was so sweet. So I have this funny church calling right now, which is like in our church, we get asked to do certain things. Everybody basically who's a member of our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, has some type of volunteer position. So right now, one of my callings is the stake blood drive coordinator. And so every six months, I set up a blood drive in our community. And we have like a list of people that are willing to come donate. And then I've got a list of people that I have to politely ask every time, like, hey, (laughs) you've donated in the past. Please, will you come again? And it's tricky to get enough people there. But anyway, and then we will sometimes have a few lucky walk-ins. And this last time that we had a blood drive, a couple women walked in and I said, oh, do you have an appointment? Is your name on the list? And they said, no, we're just walk-ins. And I was like, oh, that's great. And so I said, here's the next time. And I was writing, and I, I actually don't even think I took her name yet, but I said, so what made you come over here today? And she said, oh, I had a granddaughter, a baby granddaughter that passed away when she was seven months old at UCLA and so I always donate blood whenever I can because in her honor and I just got tears in my eyes and I said is she Ruby and she said yes and then it was your mom and she started crying Mm -hmm. and I started crying and it was just this really tender little moment but I thought that was really sweet too that she's still actively doing that all the time you know, in yep, honor definitely. of her and to try to think of how she can help save a life. And so, yeah, that's something that you guys can, anyone listening can do right now. You can get on and make an appointment and Ruby had blood donors. And I mean, I cannot thank them enough for helping extend her life. That's an awesome calling. I'm glad you have that. Cause you can really, I mean, that's, you can really make a huge impact. Yeah. Well, I just know too today you sharing your story here and that thousands of people will hear this, that this is going to make a big impact too. So where can people read? I know that you said that your blog is still open and online. So where could people read if they wanted to read Ruby's full story and see her beautiful little face and all of that? Yes. I would love to share my little baby with you guys. So although I haven't been blogging for a long time, I think it's been a year since I last wrote or more, but it's annieandmatttaylor.blogspot.com. And it's A-N-I. That's how I spell name. So Annie and Matt Taylor. 
could also just Google like Ruby Jane Taylor and I think it'll bring up our blog. Okay. And we'll also put that in the show notes too. So thank you so much, Annie, for taking the time to share this story with us and to just help people become aware and understand why this is so important and how they how the organ donation can help and, and how to help people who are grieving and suffering and just everything that you shared today it really meant a lot to me. So thank you. Thank you for having me and letting me share about Ruby. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about her. You're welcome. Well, she was such a special baby and she really is going to help, I think, save a lot of lives too. So anyway, thanks again. Thank you. Hey, you guys, thanks so much for being here and listening to Mint Arrow Messages. You really are the key to helping us grow. Ratings and reviews are everything as far as people finding us on Apple Podcasts. So if you would take just a second and tap the stars and give us a rating, and then if you have just a few seconds more, leave us a review if you love us. I would appreciate it so much. This week's review is from Jamie and Kat, who says, What could be a stressful and long commute in traffic is always peaceful and calming after listening to Mint Arrow Messages. I always feel uplifted and inspired. Thanks, Jamie. 